Hey punters and welcome to Inside 50. Nick Quinn, Shane Crawford and Jimmy Bartell here. And later on, some much-needed class will be added with Jamie Rogers, the multimedia superstar, making a cameo appearance to tell us about how she fell in love with footy and her time in the US of A. Not dissimilar to you, Jimmy Bartell, as we welcome you after a magnificent weekend of action. Thanks, Quinny. Um, I'm, it was the Tiger Train, wasn't it, when the Tiger Train got rolling? I think I'm on the, the Range Rover cavalcade. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the D's. Go D's. Are they the real deal? They are the real deal. I, I think we all have to agree. It was more the way they played against the, the Tiggies, wasn't it, Croft, the other night. It was a, a manner of football or a style of football that, that stands up in big games. Their talent on all lines. And they had speed. I, I don't think we've described Melbourne as a quick team across the field. And... Yeah, I think they're genuine premiership contenders now. On the other hand, Richmond, are we writing them off yet? If they lose the Bulldogs this week, is it slight concerns at three and four, or do we remind ourselves it'll be the first week of May when that happens? No, you can never write them off. I think we've written them off uh, the last few years early on. But uh, no, the, the Tigers will be okay. They're uh, they're a bit wounded at the moment. It doesn't help. Matches these days, when you've got a couple of guys down uh, during the match... That just kills you. It kills your rotation and, and f- throws around your flexibility and so forth. So, no, the Tigers will be okay. I love what they did against Port Adelaide and they lost. But I just love, you know, what they brought to the game. Um, and then they backed it up with a really good performance a week later. Definitely can't write them off. Um, yes, the Demons are up and about, which is great to see. And I totally agree with Jimmy. They are playing a really good style of footy where, you know, it, it's funny when a coach comes in and he wants to get the team playing a certain way, you can't just flick a switch and make it happen. It really does take a few years for them to go. You need consistency with your lineup each week. Um, and you obviously need a great understanding and great flexibility if they do move around out on that field. So it, it looks as though it's all starting to work for them. But then again, you've got the dogs as well. And, and this year, more so than ever, if you've got a strong midfield and a flexible midfield, even though they're losing a few players, they've got great depth in the reserves. Uh, I think that's going to hold them in good stead for the rest of the year as well. Well, it'll be a big game Friday night. Richmond up against the Western Bulldogs. We will preview that game and get a winning tip, hopefully, from our two superstars. But let's talk records, not just AFL, world records. What do you think the greatest world record is? For mine, it's probably the men 100-metre sprint. What would you say, Croft? Oh, it's so quick, that record, you know. Mm. So uh, maybe, do you know what? I love the 400 metres. You know, the 400 metres is a great spectacle where you can, you know, they, they hook around the bends and, you know, obviously starting in different areas. So I just think there's a lot of theatre to a 400 metre race. So maybe the 400 metre race for me. Jimmy? Uh, World Hot Dog Eating Championship. Yes. Joey, Joey Chestnut. <laughs> He's the man. He's the man. Dip him in water. He, he found the, the, the way to get it get it done. <laughs> now, I, I think it's any of those blue ribbon events. That's what they always uh, say, that the 100 metres, the Marathon, is it fifteen hundred in swimming or the hundred? How do you measure oh, swimming? Fifteen hundred. We like it as Australians because oh. we've dominated it. Yeah, it's almost too quick though. The fifty or the hundred with the swimming, you blink and it's over. Yeah, it's a dive in. Who can get up? Yeah, going, yeah probably the fifteen hundred. Yeah. What about some of these world records? Having hundred and fifty-seven live golden orb spiders on your body for thirty seconds, kissing ninety-six people on the face in a minute. Wearing 180 pairs of underwear at once. <laughs> breaking a record for a 100-metre sprint while inside a horse suit with somebody else. What is that time? And cracking 90 <laughs> eggs on your head in under a minute. They're world records. I reckon they're beatable, a couple of those, don't you? Do you know I who holds those world records, Jimmy Bartel? Who? 
This man here, <laughs> this lunatic here, as I was researching you last night, I stumbled across all that and I found the footage. What on earth? Can I just say, you're missing one, which oh. I'm really proud of. It's the most pairs of um, swimming goggles on a human head <laughs> in 30 seconds, <laughs> which was about 27 or 28. Anyway. Um, so you've got six world records as we speak. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they still stand. They're a while oh, ago. How'd, how'd you get the jocks on? <laughs> Well, the jocks obviously have to be different sizes. Yeah, um, but the, do they have to be in the official position? Like, can you put them around? You got to be standing. But the thing or is, around your arm. So you start with obviously smaller jocks, and then you work your way up to the yeah. bigger, and then they're massive. But the problem is, I got what did I get? About one hundred and ninety. One hundred eighty, I think. Was it one hundred eighty? Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, I'll get to two hundred. But the thing is. The blood circulation yes. cut off on my legs. So, <laughs> so, like, my legs were turning purple, and I'm thinking, how long, how uh, much longer can I keep going? So, that was the one that sort of stopped Did me. Did you cut them off? Can I just say, I never trained for any of these. <laughs> <laughs> so, preparation is a real key. But, uh, no, the whole idea came when I was doing the footy show. They said, oh, we want to do some segments, live segments. Do you have any ideas? I'm like, mm. anyway, so I went away and I thought of it. I said, i got an idea. <laughs> and they go, oh, here we go. <laughs> Not another crap idea. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to actually um, attempt world records live on the show. But world records I'll probably fail at, but visually could be quite entertaining. You know, probably the most entertaining one was when I had Sam Newman with me. So we had to partner up. And it was the most cream pies in a human face in one minute. <laughs> but you had to be three or four metres away, and they actually were hardcore pies with a, a hard crusty shell around there. And he had to catch them, not on his forehead, um, and he had a lot of Botox in his forehead at the time, <laughs> but in his face. And we were actually doing quite well. And then we ended up having the biggest food fight, and I reckon it, it sent uh, the footage show back about 10 grand because <laughs> of the set, and the audience got covered in cream pie and... That was one of my favourites, but uh, it was just creating a bit of fun. The, the pantomime horse, so two people inside a pantomime horse, right? <laughs> I got a guy who just won stall. Um, uh, I can't even think of his name. I should remember his name because... Was it Adrian Mott? That's it, Adrian Mott, yeah. A good fella. I said, you be the front of the horse and I'll just hang on for dear life because I couldn't see because obviously I'm running blind um, at the back of the horse. But And uh, we ended up doing it along... Channel Line Car Park, we had it all marked out and it was official. We had a, a, a Guinness <laughs> World Record official um, who would come down and, and make sure the record was legit. And he just went and I'm just like, when we used to, I just like, just lift your knees and just hope we don't fall off. And that was the night, I don't know if you ever remember, but that was the night Gary Lyon did his hamstring. Yes. It was famous footage of him running, trying to beat our time just by himself. And he ends up doing his hamstring halfway through and it great, gave the show years and years and years of content. <laughs> Let's go through some of the others. 157 live spiders on you. That must have been yeah. fun. Well, I don't like spiders, still don't like them. Um, they had to collect them from northern Queensland. So they had to individually catch a gold orb spider, bring them down from Melbourne. I saw them before the show, and they're all in their own individual jar. And they said, don't worry. Um, They don't bite. They're web spinners. So if anything, they'll try and spin a bit of a web. And as soon as they put them on, something bit me right on my neck. And I'm like, oh, they've got the wrong spider. I'm like, my goodness, what what type of spider just bit me? So I feared for my life more so than anything. (laughs) Hated it. Hated it, but that's why it works. What was the bite? 
Well, I don't know. It was obviously some spider that uh, they they said that wasn't going to bite me, but Got whether or not they chucked in a like a red back or something. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, there was something in there. I don't know what, what the other ones were. Kissing ninety six people on the face in a minute. Yeah, uh, COVID wouldn't work for that <laughs> these days, uh, so that would be an issue. So they're all lined up, men and women. <laughs> Grandmas and grandpas, they're all lined up, and I had to fly through and kiss on the cheek. But the problem was, halfway through, some of them thought it'd be good to actually start turning the face towards me. And I reckon I came out with that many cold sores at the end of it. It was disgusting. No, but um, that was, yeah, you just flew along. And the thing, in visually, um, when you look back at them, it's just crazy TV. It's just crazy. And I knew there was lots that... Um, I was going to attempt. I've got no idea. So I'm hoping in some way it can be entertaining. Otherwise, it's just a disaster. 90 eggs cracked on your head in under a minute? Yeah, you just line all the eggs up, and then it was on a perspex table. Oh, so you weren't allowed to so grab no, them? No, you're not allowed to touch ah. them. Yeah, you just got to, like a chook, uh, feeding, <laughs> um, bang your head down. But the thing is, because I had a perspex table, every two or three metres, there'd be a, a pot, like a, a welded... Um, pole, you know, holding Joining the, the table. Yeah. So I'd go okay and then I'd bang, I'd whack the pole. So at the end of it I had the biggest egg on my head. I was bleeding by You'd the end the of that. You've been the protocol now, 12 days. That's right, yeah, I'd be out. <laughs> I think I've still got concussion from that night. <laughs> what are some that didn't go as well? Uh, there was one where you had to hold on to a uh, a um, hand drill or, 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 a dr- that was in the roof. And it would spin you. So the most rotations on a human drill. <laughs> so it's locked into position. So you can get there and, and you know, virtually do a chin-up on it if you want. But you have to press the, the drill and then it starts spinning you. So the world record for that was like about 90. So like a gymnast. I got 13. <laughs> I just got so dizzy I couldn't hold on. And that was a bit of a disaster. Do you find the strangest thing that actually someone's thought of these attempted them before you broke their record <laughs> I do yeah that's what I love you look through oh what what have they done here but you can also create your own like so if it's never been done before as long as you get the adjudicator down and um, it all costs money it's not cheap to do otherwise everyone would do you can you can set your own records as well how much do you reckon it would cost to get the adjudicator oh, down maybe a couple of grand I think you got a record we should do it which, what, what, what are you doing? Well, what do you I don't want to know. Do? I don't know. Let's flesh it out now. Like, you want to have a crack at a world I think record, we should. Guinness World Record. How, how many different colours we can dye your hair in a day? <laughs> how many colours have you used? There's no colour in this hair at the moment. <laughs> right, so you, you need... Uh, Let's have a think. Let's uh, do it. Tab will pay for it. I'm putting them on the spot. Oh dear, my producer's looking very nervous right now, but we're doing it. We've we, just got to think of something. We need something sporty then. Like It needs uh, to be... When I say sporty, it might be... You know, I don't know, the most amount of footballs in the back of a car or something. I don't know. I'm just throwing it up. But it needs to be some kind of sport connection, obviously, with Tab. We'll put our thinking hats on, I reckon. Give it a week and then liaise again next week we do the podcast. We might even throw it over to social media to our legion of fans out there. Any suggestions you've got for us three to be in the Guinness World Book of Records? It'd be great. My son's got the little book of the yeah. records. I'd the, love to be you in You have there. a look at the last shot. If you look at the last Guinness Book of Records, when I did Kids WB, Kids Show, that's when I attempted the most uh, amount of goggles on a human head. <laughs> <laughs> the photo of me, um, I, just, I just don't look right. I've got the – and I'm obviously playing it up a bit, but my eyes on one side of my head, and, and that's what's gone into the book all around the world. 
So my kids look at that and go, something's wrong with Dad. He just, <laughs> he just doesn't seem to. Well, what's wrong with him? And um, so that's that's my picture. That's gone all around the world for the Guinness World Record. Australia's had many great racing and sports moments, and here's the next. The Tab app is now available on Google Play. Download it today. Tab. Long may we play. Google Play is a trademark of Google LLC. Gamble responsibly. Gamblers help. 1-800-858-858. Riley Thilthorpe, the man who sounds like you've got a lisp when you pronounce his name, had a dream debut on the weekend for the Adelaide Crows. He kicked five goals. Unfortunately, they didn't get the four points, but it was a very memorable performance from the Crows' highest ever draft pick. Now... I've gone through and done some research about the first games from you two gentlemen. I'd love to hear exactly what it was like, that experience, if you could take us down memory lane. And I've also done some research on the all-time great first game performances. Some of them went on to really good things and some of them struggled from that point on. So firstly, Riley Thilthorpe, what did you make of his performance? Obviously very impressive. And in a weird sort of way, does it put more pressure on him going forward or do you think the Crows have surrounded him really well to give him every chance to succeed? Well, the, the question about whether it puts more pressure on him, I think it takes the pressure off. Okay. Because when you draft a big key forward or, or a ruckman, I think all the supporters and fans want to see it in action, want to see that breakout game. A bit like when Tom Hawkins come on the scene, he kicked five goals. I think then as a supporter base, you go, okay, I see why you drafted him. So it's no compare um, or comparisons to other draft picks. So the one for, for him would have been, well, Logan McDonald's playing. So it's already sort of answered that question. Okay, Crows recruiting, you've got a beauty. So the pressure's off. And I think most supporters understand with young players, they'll go up and down in form. But we've seen, oh, that that's what he's going to project out to be. You know, 200-plus centimetres can mark at the highest point and a nice kick for goal. So I think it takes a bit of the pressure off. I think the Crows have managed him really well. But it almost is a vindication for Crows fans for why their club took Phil Thorpe. You know, it sounds like you got, yeah, your mouth guard in when you're trying to yell out, uh, yell out his name. But he's going to be a super player. Like all his um, underage stuff. I, I think when people see him be that big, they think, "Oh, ruck!" But he's a forward who can play in the ruck. Pinch it. Yeah, it was. It's awesome to see, and he's been playing a bit of senior football last year as well. So that certainly holds you in in good stead. And it's uh, it's just a matter of time, matter of uh, timing when you actually introduce players like that into your your football club. But to, to have an impact like that. Straight away, he starts to believe in himself. He likes, I'm good enough to be here. The club starts to to get a bit of belief in themselves, so they're picking the right players. And it's very hard to pick young players and for them to have such an impact on a game, um, you know, so early on. And uh, and obviously the supporters. So there's a lot of hope there. It was an interesting game because you saw two new new uh, kids sort of enter the AFL arena and both kick five. You know, Kashitsky uh, for the Hawks. Um, you know, he bobs up and kicks. A bag. I wonder what the odds would have been, you know, uh, on those two to uh, on a little multi. I reckon both of them going to kick five today. I wonder what type of odds you might have got. A thousand to one. Juicy, I think, would be the answer to that question. <laughs> I've gone through and got a couple of really good performances from players on debut in relatively recent times. I've oh, gone so back to the thirties and forties and whatnot. So you haven't done the John Coleman? No, no, I didn't quite go back that yes. far. Jackie Reed said we can't mention John Coleman because she told us on the podcast that John Coleman came into the Essendon side and they dropped her grandpa from the team. Pretty good omission, though. Wouldn't yeah. you kick 10 or 12 on debut? Yeah, you'd be pretty happy. At least you'd be sitting back <laughs> going, justified. Okay, maybe they made the right call. <laughs> so Adelaide, a bloke called David Marshall, 1991 round one. He had 29 disposals and kicked two goals. Unfortunately, didn't go on to do much more after that. Playing a total of just 26 games for the Adelaide Crows. 
Mark McGough, a, ho- uh, a horse that shot on the scene, a player that shot onto the scene, obviously famously won that Anzac Day medal. He had 22 disposals in a game against the Hawks in 2002. He was a wet tracker. He was a wet tracker. He won an Anzac Day. He won an Anzac Day medal. In the wet. It wasn't a lot after that. Jonathan Brown, on debut. You think what a superstar he was. Zero kicks against Adelaide. (laughs) So, tough start to the career. Well, well, Cade Simpson, the the Carlton great, 300-plus games. His first two games did not touch the footy. Yep. He ran around for two. First two games, ran around the entire game. Zero, zero, zero. Yeah, you probably played in that one as well. Round 11, 2003 against Geelong. Yeah, I think I might have. He had zero disposal, so doesn't always hit the ground running. And Scott Cummings, a man that works just across the road here at the SC, MCG against Sydney in 1994, burst onto the scene, kicking eight goals. So Big Scotty marked his arrival in absolute style. Jimmy Bartel, this was a baptism of fire. You made your debut in round one, 2002, against the best team in the competition, Essendon. The Cats lost by 50 points. You got a bit of the footy. You had 13 disposals, but that was a pretty tough task to start your career. (laughs) Yeah, Essendon were absolutely flying. Coming off a premiership, uh, started on Smoking Joe Mercedes. Oh, yes. Yes. Good player. Yeah, I'm part of that um, exclusive club. First kick smothered club, <laughs> not, not, not first kick goal, first kick smothered, went behind me, they swooped on the ball, goal, go okay, jeez, this is a pretty quick game, um, got absolutely crunched by Dunst, Dustin Fletcher and Paul Barnard, I think I had a bit of concussion to finish the game, so I was off to a flyer at AFL level. When did you know you were going to play? Uh, pretty early during the week, um, I got told pretty early uh, by Bomber Thompson, I had a really good last practice game down at Geelong. They said, you're in, and debuted with a guy. Went on to play some pretty good football in Gary Ablett Jr. So he and I made our debut on the on the same night against the Bombers. Can you remember anything about the game as you went out before running through the banner? Any of that stuff sticking in your melt wound? Oh, it's probably just a wall of noise. You've got Essendon coming off a premiership, so the MCG's packed with Bombers fans. You, you come out, and then just the roar of the crowd when Junior come on onto the ground. So he started on the bench and you've got all the Geelong faithful there. You know, Gary Ablett Senior's son, he's playing for the Cats. It was just enormous. It was like you came off the ground, Junior came on and they just erupted. Like I think even Essendon supporters were like, oh, what's going to happen? And remember then, Junior had uh, the hair down to the yeah. shoulders, the blonde surfy look and he got his hand on it a few times. And you personally, you got a bit of the footy as well. I mean... Back then, it was probably harder to get disposals than it is now. So, I look at something like 13 disposals then. It's more like 20 these days. Oh, you're too kind, Nick. No, it's, <laughs> it's pretty true, though. It's very true, yeah. No, nah, yeah, pumping my tyres up there. No, it was a tough night. <laughs> you got Essendon full of absolute champions throughout. I think you just I think you just want to get a touch. And then when you get a touch and the first one's smothered, you go, geez, I, I probably can't go worse than that. So, it's only up from here. Only up from there. It was certainly up for the Cats as well. Crawf, you made your debut round one, 1993, if my research is correct. A 23-point win over Melbourne where you had 21 touches oh. and kicked a goal. How easy is Flying. this? How player? easy is it? Well, it wasn't easy because I reckon in the first quarter I didn't touch it either. I was sort of running around and then I went to touch it and fumbled a bit and then Martin Pike came in with knees and elbows and uh, fists and all sorts of things. And, uh, yeah, and it took me a while to get up and going again. So that was my introduction. I knew it was going to be tough. And then, yeah, I was lucky that we were playing, obviously, Melbourne. So we thought we were a chance to win. And it was out at Waverley. Um, and I think my goal may have, come, may have come in the last quarter. So it might have been a little cheapy pushing forward, having no one on me mm-hmm. again. 
But uh, no, it's, I was just, do you know, I just felt proud because I was actually getting out there and, you know, fulfilling a dream. So, um, who was your coach so then? Because cool. Hawthorne had Alan a few coaches. Joyce was yeah. our coach. Yeah. And then my, my position, like, obviously, I want to play on ball, but John Platten's, you know, the rover. And back then it was all, everyone's got their own little position. So, mine was half uh, forward pocket, Jason Dunstall, the great at uh, Jason Dunstall. I'm forward pocket. I'm, I was told, get out of his space. Virtually, don't go near him. And it'd be good if you could start. This is at Waverley, which is the biggest oval ever. Uh, start on the 50-metre arc on the boundary and then just work your way into the game, but stay out of Jason's way. <laughs> so that was my – it would have looked so weird because here you've got this young kid. His, <laughs> supporters would have been thinking – You lost. <laughs> he's got no idea. What's he doing out here? But it was virtually stay out of Dunstall's way because he needs to be kicking goals with no one around him. Now, we see the Jason Dunstall, a bit of a grumpy media performer these days. Yeah. What's he like as a bloke, especially before you played that first game? I don't think – he never used to talk to us much, to be honest. Um I think he probably introduced himself before he ran out, but um, he was—he wasn't full of compliments. Jason. <laughs> he was—he was all about uh, just having a bit of fun, um, heckling a bit, and then uh, he was more of a, more a man of actions. But I will say one thing: there's a reason he kicked over a thousand goals because, yeah, sure, he didn't run like everyone else, hated the long runs and so forth, loved getting in and and doing the bench press and so forth. But he would practice his goal kicking. Like no one else, okay. He would be out there doing shots after uh, training. He'd religiously go and have his his shots from different parts of the ground. He'd always have someone on the mark. Um, he'd always go through his routine, and you know what? He'd always kick the goals. So there's no secret to it all. If you work hard, you prepare right, you can kick the goals when you need to. And he would in those games. He'd always kick goals, and you'd see him kicking a lot of shots from the boundary. But they'd always go through, and they they weren't kicking around the corner. They were all drop punts that would sail straight through the middle. From Just all repetition, the repetition, repetition. Practice, practice, practice. But practice under pressure. You know, have someone on the mark. Okay, go back, have a routine, and just keep doing it over and over and over. And you personally, your career started really well. Your first couple of games got plenty of the footy, kicked a bag of goals as well. So did you almost know instantly you certainly belonged at AFL level? Well, you, no, you got that belief because you actually got a few touches and you felt like, yeah, I'm a contributor and, you know, a much-needed sort of part of the team. But then I, I reckon, like, in my second game, I kicked five goals. Uh, I, I still don't know how. Um, I just kept pushing forward at the SCG and getting in the right spots. But um, the middle of the year, my floor, uh, form fluctuated, you know, because I was, I was a social butterfly. So I was out and about. Um, so we were going out. We play on a Saturday. I'd, I'd hit the... The clubs and the tunnel nightclub because you get a free drink card. The boy from the bush. I'm like, how good's this? So all my mates from school would come, and they'd go hard on my uh, drink card, and then we'd back it up on a Sunday night, and then we'd train Monday afternoons. So, yeah. So I reckon it got to a stage, you know, probably six, seven weeks in a row of doing that. I went and had a good look at myself in the mirror and said, "What are you doing? What are you? What are you here for? I'm here." to be the best footballer I possibly can. So I started to change my ways, but it affected my form as well because you just get caught up in it. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I was just sort of being another, you know, passenger for a while until I actually readjusted and said, right, what am I here? What do I actually want out of all this? And what do you need to do? You need to sacrifice and 
get off those podiums <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and get back and train hard, and that's that's where the focus needs to be. Were you drinking too much or just socialising too much? Oh, or just, a bit of both. No, just social. Well, I'd, I'd go out and drink, yeah, but uh, I'm not a very good drinker as it is. But I'd just go out and just have a good time, you know. So. It was it was more just going out and socialising and you know and, and not recovering really well you know um, just having fun with your friends like you're 18 years of age so all your schoolmates have just finished school and started uni in Melbourne and you know we had a lot of fun you had a lot of fun but you couldn't do it now you know I feel for those young kids coming through now because they they can't go out and do that and just have sort of you know five or six months where they actually work out okay this is where I'm going this is what I want to do. Whereas I was lucky enough to have that. And Jimmy, a high draft pick going to a football-obsessed and at that mm. time success-starved fishbowl like Geelong. What was it like in those early days? Uh, oh, like I didn't feel any pressure from the Geelong fans or, or the people there. And I think that sort of helped because I, I grew up in Geelong. It was like you, you knew everyone anyway, where you lived and things like that. You'd see them in the street. But probably for me, um, Bomber Thompson was big on, on making players earn their spot just because you're a high draft pick. You don't get played. What's those words they use now? Selection integrity, <laughs> yeah, that sort of that sort of stuff. But I, I played the first nine games. I started to tail off a little bit, but um, probably the first couple of years he was really big, and the rest of the coaching staff was. This is what we expect, and it's all the time it has to be done. If you don't, you go out of the side. And um, I think when I came back in, I was mature and ready, and I stayed in. So um, dropping me down to the the VFL was probably the best thing that happened uh, for my football career. And I, I think players nowadays look at it as a massive negative. We, we see a player go out of the side, first article written in the paper is, oh, he could be on the move. It's all right to tough it out and fight it out because actually your football will probably be better for it. So, yeah, I, I got some tough love from Bomber. And I, I was a bit uh, like what Shane was saying, probably just the professionalism. Like I played cricket all summer. Um, you know, coming into AFL, I never did a, a pre-season. And my first ever pre-season or lifting a weight or laying down on a bench press was at the Geelong Footy Club. So I had no idea what, you know, the Monday to Friday was about football. And it, it hits you like a ton of bricks. And how well did Geelong coach that into you, like teach you how to be a professional athlete? Yeah, they, they did a fair bit of work. And then, you know, you got strength and conditioning guys, you got assistant coaches, development coaches. It's... They go pretty hard at you because you're a big investment. You're a top 10 draft pick. As long, and also at that time at Geelong, there was my draft where there was eight of us. There was two years before Cameron Ling, Corey Enright, Joel Corey, that draft. So they had to. Like That was the whole entire club, and that's Bomber Thompson's plan. Like That's his coaching career. I've got to go down that path, and I need them to get good quickly. Socially, how much of a challenge was that to have a big group <laughs> of young guys together yeah, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> we had a, 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 a huge amount of fun. And it was a bit different too. Like it, I remember when I first started playing, you, a bit like Shane was saying, you play the game and then you'd quickly go home, you get your, your jeans and your kit on, you'd probably meet somewhere to grab a feed and then by the time you got to recovery the next day, it was like you'd go around when you do that little token stretch you do before you jump in the pool to walk some laps. And you'd be going to the guy, where were you last night? Like, if you weren't out. It was almost like singling out the, the one or two blokes you didn't make out. What's your excuse? By the time you got towards the end of your career, it was, what were you doing out? Yeah. It, that was just the shift. So I was pretty lucky um, in my first sort of half a dozen years. We had a young group where three-quarters of the list was within two years of each other. And you could still go out, have a beer, enjoy each other's company, 
then still go and train hard. And how important was that for building that great rapport that you guys had? Because that's how you make great mates and you yeah. build these relationships doing things in a social environment. So it's a bit of a juggling act where you want people to be professional, but you want them to build up mateship and trust each other and like each other and get to know each other. Yeah, it uh, at fast tracks, that loyalty and trust and that friendship, and you know, you, you share experiences, and it's part of growing up. You got to remember too, you're still an 18 year old boy. Like you're not a man yet. Like you're still coming out of high school. Like I finished my uh, year 12. You do your um, sort of your graduation, and then two days later, I'm training at Geelong Football Club. Like you're immediately into it. I'm not saying woe is us but that's just the reality of it and you don't always need alcohol and, and things like that all going out but it was it's a good way to bond like you sit around at each other's house in the backyard you have a couple of beers or or whatever it may be you go out it, it's just actually growing up together it's part of growing up now you two put your coach's hat on for a second if you're a coach of a team in 2022 it's your first season and you've got these young players coming in the off season how would you get them to build up that sort of rapport that the Cats enjoyed so very well and led to a lot of success. Yeah, it's difficult because they are even more professional than when I finished. I know I only finished five years ago, but the commitment and time commitment, but also the external pressure is greater. Look, there was no no social media when we were playing. So like, it would have brought you two down. <laughs> <laughs> I still shudder. <laughs> Camera phones, the worst thing that's ever been invented. No. I think they do so much now on and off the field, but I think now players, they spend so much time at a club bonding. That's probably why they want to get away from each other. So there was, I guess the balance is more skewed towards being around each other at the footy club. Yeah, I I think you've got to be careful with trying to manufacture team bonding. Yeah, oh, we're going to get to know each other better and like that. Some of the best times were footy trips where we go away and what was unfortunate is, you know, you say you'd have a couple of young ruckmen who had been playing in the reserves and they you really didn't know them very well apart from, you know, respecting the way they're trying to train and get themselves improved. Then you go away on a footy trip. We go overseas. So we're together in, every night. And this person comes out of their shell and you're like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realise he was such a character. And then we come back and go, oh, he's been delisted or he's been put. So, uh, and you're like, oh, hang on, we've just got, we've just got to understand this guy. So, I think, I think yes, everyone trains together anyway, but I think something from a social aspect or 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 an environment where you're you you've got to be connected uh, for a few days, you know, and you really get to see that real person. Um, I think it's really really important. Really important when I. Uh, when Buddy Franklin, Jordan Lewis, Jared Rufford first came in, they got drafted, and then five days later they were in Papua New Guinea walking Kokoda. <laughs> I remember feeling so sorry for them. I'm like, oh, you poor bastards. <laughs> 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 you've, you've been thrown right into the mix. Here they, they're thinking we're going to go train and live in a big city, and we're you know in the mountains, climbing mountains with the packs. I'll never forget Buddy Franklin. You know, because they drop in the air packs, uh, the the food air packs, and uh, they give you the rations for the whole 24 hours. And I remember sitting down at lunch one day and Buddy Franklin ate his whole thing, like all gone. And Alistair Clarkson came and told us all, we're not to look after him. He's got to learn that you've got to you know, ration your pack. 
Um, and I'm like, I feel so sorry for him. So I made sure I said, don't worry, mate, we've got you covered. So we, you know, got him through that next 24 hours because he's just a big growing boy. He ate the whole thing. <laughs> and then another thing, when he actually put the tent out, <laughs> he was getting his stuff out of his, um, out of his backpack and he had a picture frame of his girlfriend. So he took his picture frame uh, on Kokoda with him. You've thrown him under the bus. Oh, I'll never forget it. Every now and then I bring it up with him. I'm like, that is just, that's love, mate. That's unbelievable. Here he was, a seven-year-old young kid. But do you know what? If you, if you ask them about that, their first five or six days of their career, they didn't really know any of the senior players, but they had to get to know all of us because we all had to try and get through together. Uh, help each other, support each other, um, and it was a it was a really good introduction. A bit of a different introduction to the way that I'd do it, but um, you know we were just thrown in the mix, and you know a week together in a different country, all of a sudden, you know we're away. We we did uh, like the SOG camps that they, a lot of those go through, where you know it's the army and the military. And, but the best thing about them and what Croft's, Croft's talking about when you go back to training or you know, about six months later, someone will crack a gag or a joke, go, oh, I remember that happened on it, and it's this bonding. So when you're going through um, a tough training session in February and it's, you know, 35 degrees and you've got some fitness guy blowing whistles at you to run <laughs> faster and things like that, you you sort of already got that bond already. Oh, yeah, we've been through some pretty physically tough stuff and things like that. We'll get through it. It's it, That's where the connection's formed. Australia's had many great racing and sports moments, and here's the next. The Tab app is now available on Google Play. Download it today. Tab. Long may we play. Google Play is a trademark of Google LLC. Gamble responsibly. Gamblers help. 1-800-858-858. Now, round seven commences Friday night with the top of the table Bulldogs up against an injury-depleted Richmond. Can the Tigers bounce back and claim all four points, or will the Bulldogs carry on their winning ways? The Bulldogs, I think, a win. Although, can I just, for the record, night dipping was atrocious on the weekend. I <laughs> was... <laughs> Seriously, off big time. Um, but that's why when you're driving a car, the front <laughs> mirror is massive, and it's just a tiny little rear view mirror because we're looking forward and not focusing I, on the past. I, I think the Bulldogs is probably only one of only a couple that I got right. But um, I think the Bulldogs will win. Yes, Dunkley goes out. Ling Jong, who deserved to come back in because he's playing really well, uh, but they've got a lot of depth. You know, Wallace is still not getting a game. They've got so much depth. Um, with who they can bring in. And I just think Richmond is starting to look a little wounded. You know, Dustin Martin goes out. He's their most important player. He's, you know, the best player in the competition. So things are ripe for the Bulldogs to uh, come out and do well. Their forward line seems to be functioning a lot better. I did like the way the Giants attacked the Bulldogs last week. I thought their young team had a real crack. But you always know with a young team, eventually... You know, a more experienced side's probably going to get the hold of you towards the end. So I think the Bulldogs will win, and I think it'll be a reasonable margin. Both injury-depleted sides, but I think the Dogs can cover their yep. injuries a bit better. Like Dunkley, he's going to be hard to replace because he's such a big body, but they've got so many midfielders. You, you mentioned Wallace, but they've got Riley West, who's playing good footy in the twos as well. Um, it's whether we get to see the number one draft pick or not. I know the Dogs are trying to make him earn it. We, we've spoken about young players and... I guess the temptation just to roll out the number one draft pick, you know, round one, just let him play. But they've made him earn it. Some tough love, uh, if you will. So will they play him as the forward? Because remember, Tim English got absolutely flushed by Aaron Norton, who's one of my favourite players to watch, and especially watch live. He he is unbelievable to watch live. He launches at the footy, 
But I think I mentioned this. He's like a cat. He lands on his feet and he just goes <laughs> after the footy. It's like it lands. I haven't marked it. You've got it. He's just a mere miles. I'll tackle you. I'll tackle you. He just plays at flat out the whole entire time. So they might bring him in or they might bring in, uh, I think, Jordan Sweet, who came in when Stefan Martin and keep that two-ruck combination going on. I just think there's too many injuries to Richmond's top-end players, which we've never really said over the last no, four years. No, we haven't at all. I think Grimes is a question mark as well. Yeah. Too. yeah it just Lambert. All I think it's tough. Cochin looks sore for mine as well. Yeah. Still no um, Prestia. Still no Vlosten. Might be just one or two too many against a really informed side. Maybe it's the Bulldogs with a margin. Mm. Yeah, what do you think, Shane? Well, 20 plus. Yeah. Um, by a couple of goals. Yeah, I think so. I, I just think they're in the sweet spot. They're running. Their midfield's running. Trelaw's running. You know, um, a guy called Bontempelli's goes okay. You know, so I just think they're up and about. What's the market saying, Nicholas? Because we all sound really confident Bulldogs by sounding like four goals-ish. But I reckon a lot of people still, I think the Richmond factor is keeping it closer. Yeah, it's still relatively close. But it's the personnel. Right? Yeah. It's, it's like you take Dustin Martin out of Richmond – that's a massive hole. You take Grimes out of there, that's a massive hole. You know, Lambert's a real work, you know, like a working bee. Um, he just buzzes around everywhere and, and pops up and does all that unrewarded work. So they're huge, they're huge outs. At time of recording, the Bulldogs are $1.53 with Richmond two forty five. The line ten and a half. The Bulldogs one to thirty nine at two dollars. The Bulldogs forty plus at four dollars eighty. And the Bulldogs twenty five plus at two dollars seventy. Could be a forty-plus job. Oh, you going that big? No, Jeez. not really. Wow. But it wouldn't surprise me. They get upset, Richmond supporters. They get very sensitive, yeah. hey, don't they? Hey, yeah. I've got a bit of Richmond blood in me, but um, you know, sometimes you know, football doesn't look after you, and this <laughs> is the week that it's not really looking after the Tigers. All right, we're going to give our best bet, and Croft's going to give us a multi as well. I'm going to open the batting. I've backed them for the premiership this week, and Geelong will beat Sydney. And cover the line. They're a dollar fifty head to head, and the line is at twelve and a half points. Tick and tick. Hey, they're I back. like the cats at the SCG yeah. too. Well, the Swans actually don't play the SCG no, they don't. well. It's uh, a like, home ground disadvantage for them. Yeah, because the way they're built is actually doesn't suit the small, tight confines. But Kennedy and Parker always play well there because they love a contest. But the rest of them give us some space, lengthen this ground. we and you're right. We've been crying out for the cats to play quicker. And they play quicker, and look at the score that they yeah. can run up. It was unbelievable. And you think, they gave away two goals in the first quarter to Mark Blitzarv's errors. You take them away, it's like, where, how did West Coast even score? Yeah, yeah, it's quite incredible. Because that, that was a, a game for West Coast to to show what they got. But, um, yeah, beware of the sleeping giant, which is the, the Cats. The Cats, yeah, they've been obviously scratchy. Pardon the pun, but they've been very scratchy and then they just, bang, out come the claws, we're back. And they showed everyone in the competition, hey, if we can move that ball with a bit of pace, good luck. And no danger field, you know, still missing a lot of key players. So who have you got for us this week, Jimmy? Uh, the lock, uh, Melbourne. Dan, Jeez, that's brave. Well, you said it's a lock. Dollar and one. Well, isn't that the point of a lock? What, what's the line? <laughs> 57 and a half. I think North Melbourne will be better than that. So I think Melbourne will go down. They'll be professional. A bit like Port Adelaide, who we haven't spoken about much, who yeah. have been just super professional. I think they'll do it, but I don't think it'll be by that much. I, okay. I think around the high 30s. North Melbourne are putting together quarters now. Is there a team you like at a backable quote for us? Uh, yes, the Giants. 
The Giants? By under the 20. The Giants, a slight favourite against Adelaide. I think that does look a good bet. I think the Giants have been much, much better the last month. And the Crows, after a really bright start to the season, they've been competitive, but I think we sort of know their level now. And sometimes with these young teams, they can start well and then fall away a little bit. Wouldn't you long love a mulligan from that round one game? Exactly. So the Giants by you know a couple of goals, because I think either team, I think it's a flip of the coin game, and, but I think the Giants, I think they're doing enough right Yep. at, at the moment. The Crows just tapering off a little bit. Still a close game, though, being there in Adelaide. Well, the Giants were right in that game against the Bulldogs last mm. week, too. I don't think the scoreboard reflected the closeness of that contest. What about yourself, Crawford? What's your best bet and your best multi? My best bet is the Bulldogs at the line now, now that I know that margin. I, I just think they're going to win by you know three-plus goals at least. Um, so the Dogs, but if you want to get adventurous, Chuck McRae, he'll, he'll give you 30-plus possessions <laughs> into that. So... Uh, the dogs to win at the line into McRae, 30-plus possessions. He's a magnet. He just finds the footy. Even, I don't think they'll run with him. You know, they'll try and take him on through the middle because there's so many of them. But he he just finds the footy. Like, he just finds it everywhere. And he's just one of those players that, you know, like a, a Greg Williams, just he just lives with the footy. And it's he's going to give you 30-plus probably for the next 12 games in a row because that's what he does. And he'll do it this week. Got a multi for us? Oh, that was the multi, the same game multi. No, 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 no. I'm happy for that to be my best bet because I just think that's going to happen. I'll tell you another one who seems to lift a lot, Guthrie, when he's got more responsibility through the middle. Although coming up against the Swans, I just, I'm just worried that they might um, try and shut him out of the game because yeah, that's what I would probably try and do. It's like, hang on, he seems to go really well. Um, my multi, well, I, I just think there's a. There's a lot of wrong odds this week. The Hawks and Saints, the Saints are short price favourites. Have you seen their form? <laughs> how, can, how can you possibly back them at short price favourites? We've got Carlton who are favourites over the Bombers. Did you see the way the Bombers played the other day? Their, their pressure was outstanding. You know, you got Merritt uh, through the middle, um, McGrath through the middle. Um, you know, it's... it's I, you just could not possibly back them with any confidence, those teams. Um, even the, the opposition as well, you can't really back with confidence. But I think those odds are all really wrong. West Coast against Fremel, I think that's a bit of a line ball too because West Coast is still missing some key personnel. So Flying Ryan, I'm not sure if he comes back in, um, who's a really important player. So it's it's very – so I'm trying to cover here because it's very hard to actually have yeah. a serious multi when you're doubting it. I do think Port Adelaide will win. I just think they're against Brisbane. So I'm happy to chuck them in. Saturday afternoon at the MCG, Collingwood in 17th place on the ladder, up against the last start winner, the Gold Coast Suns. Can the Suns win this, and what sort of ramifications will that have for the Pies? They just have to win, don't they, Collingwood? I, you know, for, I thought for they had to win on the weekend, and they lost to the Bombers. But the Suns were so impressive against the Swans. and I know the Swans have got some young players who are fluctuating at the moment, but... Probably the way the Suns played. They're, they're being brave with their ball, ball use. Does Darcy Moore go back for Collingwood? Do they finally cave and send so, him so back? So what, what about that on the weekend? They pushed Darcy Moore forward, um, and then half-time they decided to flick it around. Yet they're only down by a goal or so at half-time, and their ball movement, um, you know, Essendon played much better footy in that second quarter, in the second half of the first quarter. So, you know, you've got to win matches. You don't want to save matches. Is that right? Yeah. So, 
I would have just said, no, nah, he's staying there. I know they flicked Kelly around, but I don't know. If, if you want to win matches, you've got to kick goals. You've got to have people who are capable of doing that. He's in good form. I know he hasn't played a lot down forward. I just, you know, there's a few... I suppose when you lose, you always, you know, everyone... Like, I'm losing at Ardmona by 200 points every week. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, I just don't have the personnel. Collingwood have got... The, the problem with Collingwood, and I don't think there are any certainties this week against the Gold Coast Suns, because the Gold Coast Suns, Jimmy said, they're brave. They take the game on. They run. And, boy, some of them can run. And they've got some of the top-end young talent coming through. Wits out. It's a massive out. But... Who who was Collingwood's better players? Pendlebury, side bottom, Grundy. Pendlebury spends a lot of time on ball, a lot of time. And what did Essendon do? Stringer would come up, take Pendlebury around the centre bounces. Stringer's great around there. And then he would push forward. Pendlebury thinks he's free. And then they, um, then they drop another player through the middle, Essendon. So all of a sudden, they're creating an extra number somewhere until Pendlebury works out who it is. So... I think Collingwood have got to be very careful. They know that Scotty Pendlebury's a star. He's been a star for a long, long time. But they've got to get their rotations. Uh, you don't just go to the middle and just chase the footy. Um, and he, he wasn't alone there. You know, there's other players fighting through there. And I don't think there's much accountability and pressure-wise. I don't see a lot of pressure from those older-type players. They're still in the best players for Collingwood, but I don't see a lot of pressure. Um, like, you look at Essendon from the weekend... It was rapid fire. Collingwood got the footy. It was just a player coming at them. They flick it out wide. There's another player coming at them. I didn't see that from Collingwood's point of view, and that is for me a real concern. So you couldn't possibly back. You couldn't possibly back Collingwood with any confidence this week. St Kilda, with any confidence. And who was the other one? There was another one there that. Oh, um, the Saints. Carlton. The, the, or Carlton. The Blues. Yeah. So you you couldn't possibly. You couldn't possibly go in and go, yes, this is our week. All chips are in. Good luck. The the one thing going in Collingwood's favour is Gold Coast players never play at the MCG. Yeah. I think uh, David Swallow's played there 12 times in his whole entire career. Like Most of them might have to do the... MCG Sports Museum tour while they're there. Like, it's like, while you're there... It is a great tour. Yeah, it's a fantastic tour. It'll be the first time they've ever gone to the MCG. Go check out the Olympic Is tour. your Brownlow there? Your Brownlow's probably yeah, there. Yours is there, isn't it? Have you located your Brownlow since we did the podcast no, last? Not as yet, but how often... I saw, I saw it uh, being auctioned <laughs> online. But how often do they bury Collingwood game at 1.45 on a Saturday? Mm. Like, I, I, I fear for Collingwood this week because you've got a side who... They're under pressure. The coach is under pressure. Players are under pressure. Um, I I fear for them this week because I'm a bit different. I know the Suns haven't played much footy there, so this is, you know, oh, how good's this? We get an opportunity to play at the MCG. They can run. And if you're going to run at the MCG, that's a huge advantage. It's just got to make sure you use the ball really well. So this is a fascinating match for me. Mm. This is a must-watch match because... Uh, I think everyone's going to be a bit twitchy. Yeah, The Herald Sun say newspaper sales are always up when Collingwood lose. Will that be the case on a Sunday morning? What happens if they lose? What what happen, oh. If they lose this one, what happens, Quinny? It'd be the the doorstop. The everyone over. Yeah, I think the Buckley exit strategy would be in place. Jesus. It's massive, isn't it? It is <laughs> massive. Like the, it, you agree? Oh, I don't know. Everyone's buying for that, aren't they? They're setting it up for this week. You can see articles are half written. Yeah. It's like, are we going to hit? They're just waiting to the last quarter with a minute to go. Just 
I think they're already written. So do you bring Mason Cox in and, and put more back and go, no, nah, we'll just If Mason go with Cox it. is the answer, I don't want to know what the question is. I, I don't <laughs> think you need to play too many tools, though. I don't think you need to bring him in because uh, you, you mentioned wits and a whole heap of tools for the Suns are out. So just as long as you've got enough to, to cover uh, – it's Ben King at, at the Suns. You've got, you got enough options to cover him because the rest are all pretty small and dynamic. It'll be interesting. Look, Buckley, I think he's done a pretty good job at the Pies, but I think all good things must come to an end, and I think someone else will be coaching them in 2021. Who, who's going to be coaching Name names. Jimmy Name Bartel, names. you reckon? Jimmy Bartel. Would you take the Collingwood coaching job? <laughs> Pays a lot more than hanging out with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Crawford and Jimmy, you've been superb as always, but now we need a bit of class added to the program, so let's go to the superstar from Tabcorp and Sky Channel, Jamie Rogers. Jamie, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to being on. Let's talk about AFL. That's what we do on this podcast. And unlike many people that grew up in the US of A, you absolutely love the AFL. Tell us about your early years growing up and how you fell in love with the AFL. Well, I I don't know if I can tell you the exact moment of when I fell in love with AFL, but we moved to Australia in the early 90s. And it was around that time that Tony Lockett came across to Sydney. And it was also when that Super League war in rugby league was happening. So it kind of helped the Swans become a real powerhouse in Sydney. And I went to a lot of games in the early 2000s when the home games moved to ANZ Stadium. And I think it was just a a growing love of different things along the way. And then, of course, the flag in 2005. And I just remember that the Swans flag was flying high on the Harbour Bridge, which was just really exciting to see because I hadn't seen that before. Um, Obviously, 2006 was tough. But I think it was just a, a culmination of different things that just made you continue to fall in love with the sport over and over and over again. But for me, with the Swans, it was just a, a growing thing right from when I came to the country. It was probably good timing that Tony Lockett came across at the same time. So what were you, about 10 years old or something like that when you relocated to Australia? Seven. Seven. So you were yeah, quite young. Seven. So you probably had never heard of Australian rules football. Had any of your family members never. heard of Aussie rules? My, my parents had, because they're, they're Australian, but when we lived in America, it was just all about baseball, basketball, the NFL. We never, ever, ever spoke about anything like AFL or rugby league. I mean, I was young, so I do have to throw that in there. But in our house, it was all about the American sports. And when we moved to Australia, my parents were very much, because I've come from a really sporty family. We're either watching sport or playing sport. So it wasn't unusual for my mum to say, all right, guys, we're going out to watch this game called AFL and off we'd go. So, yeah, she was she was quite instrumental in making sure that we got out to different games and exposed us to a variety of sports that weren't just in the US. And it's been a pretty successful time. Two premierships for the Swannies in your lifetime. What have been some of your favourite memories and favourite players? Well, I was there in the 2012 uh, Grand Final when we beat Hawthorne. So I think that was really exciting because I was a last-minute recruit to be able to go. We'd had have were had done a few promotions in previous grand finals and then thankfully for 2012 I didn't really have to do anything and I got a last minute ticket so I was pumped with that and I think you know I always really loved Barry Hall I just thought he was he was like a cult figure here and sort of like a club leader in his own right so yeah we've just we've been really lucky and I think um you know it's had some success and yeah continue to love it I've got to say though Quinny as I'm sitting here saying I love the Swans I should also add in there that I'm married to someone that is a diehard Hawthorne fan. Oh. And when before I got married, uh, my father-in-law, my now father-in-law, pulled me inside and made me promise that our kids would be Hawthorne supporters for me to marry into the family. And I'm not joking. 
And you're still married. Him. Divorce is on the cards. Still married. We're still married, and we've got Hawthorne paraphernalia all over their room. But I've still got all my swan stuff. And don't worry, the boys are well aware about the swans. Have you got a little plan of attack? Should Hawthorne go through some tough years, you're going to try and just get them across. I always, we always make jokes. Well, one of my sons' names is Hudson, so he's got a Peter Hudson signed jersey in his room. So, look. I think as much as I would love to try and make them swan supporters, which I try and do, I think my father-in-law and probably my husband would have a heart attack if, if they did actually move away from Hawthorne. Well, it sounds like a challenge, but Jamie, you are no stranger to challenges. You certainly don't shy away from them. And I read with great interest in the media yesterday that you are thinking about doing something what I would consider crazy, and most mm-hmm. people probably would, and that's swim the mm-hmm. English Channel. Tell us about that. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm booked in to swim it in August next year. So it's 35 kilometres in a straight line, which could end up being 50 kilometres depending on the tide. So I'm in full training. I did 15-kilometre swim on the weekend, which took five hours. Um, but my first mini goal is a 21-kilometre race on the Gold Coast at the end of next month. Um, so working towards that. And then, yeah, it'll all lead towards the English Channel. So I am trying to raise money for Gotcha for Life. It's a mental health charity that was founded by Gus Wallen, who is quite, um, I don't know if he, you guys would know him down there, but he's, he's quite big here. And uh, he founded this charity. And it, I just thought swimming the English Channel is just as much a mental challenge as what it is physical. So a nice thing to partner up there. Well, I can barely do 50 metres in a lap with the current at my back, Jamie. So for me, it would be a massive physical challenge. But you are an elite swimmer and you went very, very close to qualifying for the Sydney Olympics. Not a lot of people might know that about you as well. So swimming is something you've been very good at throughout your life. Tell us about that swimming experience and the good times before I dare say a little bit of heartache at the end. Yeah, um, I know when people look really shocked when I say I'm swimming the English Channel, I always do throw in there, I was a swimmer, so it's not like we're starting from scratch, but I was a breaststroker in a pool, which is very different to freestyle in the ocean. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I went to the Olympic trials. I had a broken foot at the time of the Olympic trials, but I just was going to be there no matter what. And I think part of the reason why it's great to do this English Channel is you've, I've probably always got a little chip on my shoulder that you aren't good enough, you didn't quite make it. So I've got to do something to make my swimming life worth it, if that makes sense. Um, because, yeah, my swimming career had to end back when I was 18 because I'd had too many injuries with my knees and my back. And, and funnily enough, when I first started getting into this heavy training, the same injuries all came back really quickly with my back. But obviously technology has advanced since 2000, so we've been able to fix a lot of those. Um, but, yeah, it's nice to be back in the pool and staring at that black line and, meeting some amazing people because swimmers are really lovely and yeah it's been fun how'd you break your foot i broke my foot in the most ridiculous way you could imagine so my brother was playing sport he went to a school called knox up here in sydney and they were playing um rugby and i just went for a little walk and i was walking along the side of a footpath and i tripped on a gutter that would have literally been a centimeter high but it was just the way that I fell over was what snapped the bone in the side of my foot. But it was just the most ridiculous, ridiculous way of breaking my foot. Does that play on your mind a lot that potentially it cost you a spot at the Olympics? Uh, it, it did at the time. And I think that's probably why you do have the that constant chip of your shoulder, like what if. But, you know, I 
think I probably would have ended up getting as far as I, I went because you've got to remember I was up against swimmers like Lethal Jones and Samantha Riley and I just swam in that golden era of Australian swimming. So I might, I, probably, I might still not have made it even if my foot was better, but we'll never know. Well, Jamie, you'll always be the gold medalist to us. And for those that want to donate to this magnificent cause before you swim the English Channel, how do we go about it? So you can find the link on my Instagram page. That's probably the easiest way to do it because it's a really long link. So if you just <laughs> click on my Instagram page, it's just Jamie underscore Rogers. You'll see it in my bio and it'll take you straight to the Gotcha for Life page. Jamie, you're an absolute legend. Thanks for having a chat to us today. Thanks so much for having me, Quinny. Well, punters, it's been an action-packed show. We can't wait to do it again next week. And you've been listening to Inside 50. Australia's had many great racing and sports moments, and here's the next. The Tab app is now available on Google Play. Download it today. Tab. Long may we play. Google Play is a trademark of Google LLC. Gamble responsibly. Gambler's help. 1-800-858-858.